This episode discusses descriptive language about the topic of substance abuse. Viewer's discretion is advised. Welcome. You are listening to the Michigan Daily Weekly. Imagine, you are at a music festival surrounded by hundreds of people. Everyone is having a good time. The person next to you pulls out a narcotic drug and takes it. A few moments later, they collapse. What do you do? In situations like the one described, the drug naloxone can help alleviate the effects of an overdose. In this episode of the Daily Weekly, we will be exploring the usages of the drug Narcan and its impact within the city of Ann Arbor and students on campus. I'm your host, Sneha Dhanapani. Stay tuned. Here at UMich, the university has taken preventative measures to educate students about how one could potentially reverse an overdose. My name is Gina Dalam. I am a clinical associate professor at the School of Nursing, and uh, I'm also a family nurse practitioner at Packard Health. Professor Gina Dalam is part of the School of Nursing and is going to break down how the administration of naloxone, which is commonly called Narcan, was implemented within the school's standard curriculum. I've been a nurse quite some time now, probably 20 years. As far as how I got involved with overdose education, that's probably more uh, relevant to your topic, is I work at the Shelter Association in Washington County, which provides uh, primary care services to people experiencing homelessness. Back in 2013, we were seeing our clients overdosing in the shelter bathrooms. Uh, being an emergency department nurse previously, I knew what drug to have and to give, but we didn't have naloxone at our um, clinical setting. And so what we decided to do with another chief medical officer um, and I decided to look up in the literature of what are other uh, cities and states and organizations doing to uh, reverse overdoses. And so we came up with a overdose prevention uh, curriculum. And uh, uh, it was back then where the shelter director had advised, you know, why don't you, you know, train the whole staff? And we thought that was a brilliant idea because it's the shelter staff that's going to be uh, working at the shelter 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then so um, we provided the naloxone training to our shelter staff back in 2013. And uh, uh, with the worsening epidemic, um, around 2015, the sheriff's office reached out to me to train their deputies. And within the first week of our training, a deputy had a save. And pretty much I've been training uh, people, uh, first responders, community lay people, uh, whoever want to be trained on uh, how to uh, reverse opioid overdoses since then. An article published by the Michigan Daily, written by Melanie Crespo, reported how the Ann Arbor District Library and other spots within the city are becoming locations for Narcan vending machines. Here are Professor Gina Dallum's thoughts on this initiative. I believe that, especially with the worsening of the opioid epidemic, any way you can increase access and training to community lay people to respond to opioid overdoses and have free access to naloxone is always a good thing. This epidemic has, um, you know, we've had over 75,000 deaths related to opioid overdoses in 2021. It's killing 207 people 
daily, right? This is a large number of people who are dying from uh, overdoses that are preventable. And, and so all the more important that we increase access and distribution of naloxone, particularly to community lay people, because they are the actually the first responders who will be uh, the one responding to these uh, overdoses. Whenever we do any of this work, it's important to understand naloxone saves lives. And so I think the more we're able to uh, educate and give access to uh, the people on the ground, the better we are in reducing, you know, the toll that uh, opioid uh, epidemic has uh, on all of us. Mm -hmm. Alongside a professional point of view, The Daily also reached out to the student organization known as Students for Sensible Drug Policy to get their perspective on the expansion and education of Narcan. So my name is Derek Frazier. I am in the final semester of a PhD in English Language and Literature at the U of M Ann Arbor campus. Braden will also talk about the impact of the harm reduction strategy used for helping those struggling with substance abuse. A few years back, my friend and roommate, Dan, who had had you know, a number of drug problems from early on in life. He fatally overdosed on heroin, which I'm guessing was probably tainted with fentanyl. And uh, at the same time, I was a heavy drinker, and the sadness, the misery of all that drove me into further negative coping mechanisms, and I myself ended up going to rehab for alcohol use disorder. Through that, I saw what was happening in the treatment industry and seeing how that a lot of things that were happening weren't evidence-based. They were operating out of a playbook from 100 years ago, and they weren't offering people the best care. You're seeing people come back their fifth time, their sixth time, uh, and they're not making any progress. This isn't working for them. And then somebody like my friend and roommate, Dan, whenever he died, I, you know, I spent probably a couple of years trying to figure out what could have prevented this. And the solution I ended up coming to for both myself and him, the thing that uh, really worked was harm reduction. I really believe harm reduction could have saved his life. Additionally, from his experience, he will address the positive effects that this approach has had. Harm reduction is a non-judgmental, evidence-based approach that meets people where they're at. It neither condemns and uh, nor condones drug use. As harm reductionists, we're looking at drugs as a coping strategy that someone has for an unmet need in their life. And our position as harm reductionists is to say that we shouldn't be taking away someone's coping strategy, and that's unnecessarily cruel without having something to replace it with. What we need to do is to identify these basic unmet needs that are causing people to fall into chaotic and problematic substance use. This effectively has a much higher rate of actually getting people into treatment, ironically, about four to five times higher rate of people going into treatment if they're, say, part of a syringe service program. So rather than enabling people to stay in drug addiction, these things often actually are very much so an off-ramp for people who don't want to continue using drugs or don't want to continue using the way they have been. Derek Frazier will go into detail about what Students for Sensible Drug Policy has advocated for to help those who are dealing with substance abuse. So Students for Sensible Drug Policy is an international drug policy organization that is geared towards students. This organization is focused very heavily in ending the drug war and trying to take this new harm reduction-based approach and moving forward with various either decriminalization or legalization efforts related to drugs. 
and you know sort of pursuing any opportunities we see for how we could re-engineer the way we've been doing things so that fewer people are dying fewer people are being harmed whenever that narcan vending machine went in at the downtown branch it was probably two weeks before i heard the story of someone whose life was saved because of that vending machine. You know, and it wasn't even the person that got it for themselves, it was their parents went out and got it because they knew that their son was using and that there was the possibility that he might overdose. And, and thank God they went and actually got this Narcan from the vending machine. The vending machine is important because people who use drugs have often a very negative relationship to, you know, traditional medicine. There's a number of studies out that being an open, admitted user of substances incurs all kinds of medical discrimination. One does not get the same quality of care. One's often turned away. Certain medications are denied to people. So there's a real hesitancy on the part of people who use drugs to engage with medical professionals. There's a real distrust there. These vending machines take that out of play. Somebody can go there and they don't have to talk to anybody. One of the biggest problems in addiction is often a sense of shame and guilt and isolation. And these drop that barrier for people. These things have been shown to reduce the amount of death that we're having. And sometimes there are arguments against putting these machines in place that are so-called a moral hazard argument, stating that because the Narcan's available, more people are going to just be willy-nilly with their opioids and overdose, you know, all the time and not really care. This is not borne out by evidence. This is simply a life-saving intervention for people. And it's a it's a good place to start too with harm reduction. This onboards people into thinking about other ways they might be changing their relationship to drugs to be safer with them. So is there any legislative policy that the university has done for those receiving treatment for substance easier? So in order to receive federal funding as a university, you have to ban all controlled substances from campus unless they are prescribed. So there's not really a whole lot of leeway the university has in terms of saying, like, we're not going to enforce drug policy here. However, the university does not typically handle things in a criminal manner. They typically handle things in a more health-based approach. So it's not as big of an issue. I was on the commission looking at the uh, drug policies past summer. And one of the things that the committee started looking at is a focus that's uh, more on harm reduction and sort of de-emphasizing all the negative policy consequences of things that might happen to you if you're you know, getting into substance-related trouble at the university and instead fronting resources to help you before you get to that point. How does SSDP intend to contribute to changing the culture surrounding drug use? It can change the culture of drug use because if people aren't criminalized, then they can access treatment services. And I think it's a little simplistic, but uh, the author, Johan Hari, has a saying where he says the opposite of addiction is connection. And I think in a lot of cases that, that is the case. It certainly was for me. That if people can step out of the shadows and stop being isolated through criminalization, they can start to form communities with one another. And that leads toward healing and it leads toward a healthier relationship with drugs. Part of anything that happens with a drug is your mindset, your setting, what's around you, who you're with, those kind of things, and the dose you take. And if we change our setting, that is the legal situation we're in, if we're changing the culture we're in, not stigmatizing these things and instead treating it just the same way we treat alcohol or tobacco, that could really make a very positive difference in terms of integrating people back into the community and making them take control over their own. Lastly, Derek will address how the narcotics have become more powerful and fraught than ever before. 
I would say that there has never been a more dangerous time to initiate substance use if you are not currently a substance user. The market is more volatile than ever. Substances are more potent and they're often mixed with other substances. So one of the big problems we're seeing, for example, right now in opioids is you might have Narcan to reverse the opioid overdose, but it's also been contaminated with xylazine, a veterinary tranquilizer. So you never know what you're buying on the black market necessarily. Read everything possible you can about the drug, you know, places like Reddit, medical articles, anything you can get your hands on. And we at SSVP on our uh, organization's website, we have a harm reduction guide that's broken down by classes of substances. The link tree for the student organization, SSDP, is linked within this episode's description. Now we will hear from Anna Schaefer. My name is Anna Schaefer. I am a senior at U of M in the School of Public Health doing the BA program, which is community and global public health. And then I am also getting a minor in gender and health. Anna will be giving a student perspective of a person who has had to use Narcan and continues to be educated about it throughout her undergraduate courses within the School of Public Health. Narcan promoted significantly through the School of Public Health. It is promoted by the CDC, by every health body in the U.S., pretty much. I mean, there can be conflicting evidence as to whether or not it is, whether or not it's affecting increases in overdoses, but not necessarily its efficacy. The School of Public Health offers Narcan trainings to anyone in the community on campus. I don't think they've sent one out for this semester, but I know that they had two last semester. Within talking about Narcan, it's important to also refer to it as naloxone. Narcan is easier to say for all intents and purposes, but naloxone is able to quickly reverse an overdose by blocking the effects of opioids. It is able to restore normal breathing within two to three minutes. Whether the symptoms of an overdose are that someone's breath has slowed or even stopped. So essentially, it just blocks the effects of opioids so that the person does not overdose. So I believe that the School of Public Health offers more opioid-specific courses. The undergraduate education is more overreaching, so we've just spent specific units on the opioid epidemic. Um, I am happy to say that the CDC has given U of M grant money to be able to start the U of M Injury Prevention Center, one of nine comprehensive academic research centers in the country funded by the CDC. The point of that being, U of M is doing incredibly important research about injury prevention at large. So that can be um, motor vehicle accidents, closed head injuries, falls, sexual assault, domestic violence. And also one branch of the U of M Injury Prevention Center funded by the CDC is opioid and overdose. So there are amazing faculty at the University of Michigan, who are focusing on this specifically as it relates towards ge geographic increases. So that being the Midwest and the Rust Belt. So in the future, how would you go about promoting the increase in education about Narcan and other life-saving medicine? Narcan is step one of 
opioid related interventions in communities. There are further interventions that have been proven effective in other countries, such as widespread safe needle distribution programs and safe protected drug testing sites, which I believe in North Carolina has had one launched within the past two years that has effectively reduced opioid overdoses because injection drug users are able to have their drugs tested and inject in a safe site where nurses are able to reverse an overdose if that is what happens. And that there are even further interventions to be promoted in the same way that Narcan is promoted. Also, that a bill was introduced to the House, Support, Treatment, and Overdose Prevention of Fentanyl Act of 2021, or the Stop Fentanyl Act of 2021, which related to all of the things that we are talking about now. So one of the ways that it would work is that the Bureau of Prisons would have medicated assisted treatments available to individuals in custody. So Narcan is used for one-time incidents. This is what we would call a tertiary prevention in public health. There are a large number of other interventions that provide primary and secondary support to drug users that are important to emphasize and further educate yourself on, um, such as methadone being used as an effective treatment for people who are addicted to opioids. Um, And that also has a significant stigma in the U.S., where it's been proven effective, again, in other countries. Any stigma surrounding Narcan would predate creation and be traced back towards the beginning of the opioid epidemic, which started around the 1990s, the majority of which was caused by the overprescribing of narcotics, such as hydrocodone, and several large drug companies can be attributed towards the overproduction and incorrect marketing of the drug, and then also being affected by the lack of education surrounding the doses and the doses that should be prescribed, who it should be prescribed to. The opioid epidemic has rocked the U.S. so significantly nationwide, mainly the Rust Belt, and then also the Midwest. Throughout the opioid epidemic, we've seen the rise of synthetic narcotics, such as fentanyl. And now the most common way that people are overdosing is street drugs laced with fentanyl to increase, either to increase the volume of the product or to increase um, the potency of the product in that drugs laced with fentanyl are going to give you a much more significant high, though those are not correlated. It is just that a lot of people will end up with street drugs that happen to have been laced with fentanyl. And fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that is up to 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times stronger than morphine. So incredibly small doses will cause a person to overdose. Narcan is able to reverse the effects of fentanyl for an overdosing person, fentanyl, heroin, morphine, any of the things that are causing an overdose. Um, 
it is possible that more than one dose would be required depending on how much the person has um, consumed. And it is also very important to note that Narcan can be used on a person who who might be overdosing and may not be overdosing from those from those substances. If a person is overdosing on something else, giving them Narcan will not hurt them. Giving them Narcan will not stop them from overdosing if they are overdosing on something that is not an opioid. But part of why distribution and training is so important is because it isn't a drug that harms anyone. There's no wrong time to give it. This episode of The Daily Weekly was produced by executive producers Hannah Devereaux and Claire Jones and content producers Quinn Murphy, Sneha Dandapani, and Ashna Talukder with audio engineering done by Emma Reich. The Daily's theme song was composed by Gibson Gillette Barons. <laughs>